Hi, before we get started on the episode, I wanted to give a quick trigger warning. Um, this episode mentions childhood sexual, physical, and mental abuse. Um, nothing is described in graphic detail, but it is mentioned. Thank you. Welcome to Feeling Asian, a podcast where two Asians talk about their feelings. I'm Youngmi Mayer. And I'm Brian Park. And uh, Brian. What's going on? And the book says we may be through with the past, but the past isn't through with us. Today, our guest is. Oh, okay. You're hitting. You're hitting us with a excerpt with a quote up top. Yeah, <laughs> that's new. Today, our amazing guest is a world-renowned chef. He's a James Beard Award-winning chef. Um, he was the star of Mind of a Chef season eight or seven. I should know that. And also. <laughs> My ex-husband, Danny Bowen. Hello. Thanks for having me. We're so excited to have you, Danny. <laughs> for what we've gone through on this podcast, young me, I feel like you should have opened up top with my ex-husband, but, you know, way to bury the lead on that. And <laughs> thanks, for <jo> <laughs> thanks for joining us, It makes us, it Danny. more dramatic. It does. We are very happy to have you, Danny. You're probably, um, well, you're probably one of the most interesting guests that I've had to interview on this show. <laughs> Um, we have a long history, um, but I guess before we get talking to Danny Bowen, Brian, how are you feeling? So as you know, I am back in New York City. I flew in from Texas on Tuesday, and I have been quarantined at my apartment since then. So I don't really know how to describe how am I feeling. I guess fucking restless. I yeah, I truly. I feel like I'm a dog stuck in a kennel. So I'm I'm like excited. I'm very excited yeah. right now because I'm in New York. I'm back home. I want to just get outside and not be quarantined. But on my taxi ride over to my apartment from LaGuardia, the taxi uh -huh. driver was just telling me how New York is just not New York anymore. So <laughs> yeah, I like I don't know what I'm excited for. I can I read yeah. the news. I understand that a lot of businesses are suffering. This isn't the New York that we know and love. I, yeah. Basically, I'm like a dog in a kennel. I'm trying to get out of my fucking kennel and what is I'm outside in, the I, kennel? I, right. And like the kennel is in a room that where the lights are off and I just <laughs> you, Also, you know? I like how you're sitting in your living room that has no windows and it's like the most depressing living room in the world to make things even sadder this isn't my living room this is my bedroom oh my so. god what happened <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dark cloud so. hanging over your life and also it's funny because your neighborhood like that part of williamsburg is like for some reason the one part of new york city that has no one's following the rules they're just living their lives like normal have you noticed that well you haven't been outside at all huh no, I, I mean, I guess I can feel it's palpable in the air when I fuck around in my backyard. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose so. It's like so popping over there. It's crazy. Yeah, I didn't get that. My only interaction outside was with you where you had to pick up the microphone and XLR cable. Oh, and then I made me. you like drop it in front of your apartment and go back inside. Right. It was like we we're transferring a bomb or something. <laughs> and then I wiped it down with hand sanitizer. But yeah, that's that's how I feel. I wish I had something I more exciting to tell you, but you know, I'm no. going through the beginning stages of quarantine all over again even though we're like yeah. 4 months deep into this thing. 
I think that's valid. I think there are a lot of people that are still in that stage of quarantine with you. So it's probably good to hear that. Right. Yeah. So I'm a dog in a kennel and the kennel is in a room with the lights off. So I have uh-huh. no, I'm excited to get out and it's still going to be a shitty situation overall. Uh, how about you, Young Me? How are you feeling? Well, you know, I'm hanging out with Danny. Danny, um, we work together a lot now. <laughs> it's, and we get along really well. Um, you know, Danny and I work in the restaurant and then Danny's girlfriend is also there and we all get along. And it's R- kind of like an interesting situation. Right, I don't know why I feel really nervous right now and I'm not sure what it is. Maybe maybe because maybe it's just emotional. I'm sure it's emotional. I'm sure given your guys' relationship, it is yeah. it's going to stir up some feelings, stir up some nerves. That seems like yeah. a completely normal response. Also, I feel like we did have like something sort of shitty happen. I mean, this sounds so codependent we, but like Danny sort of had like a shitty thing happen to him this week that happened online and it was like somebody that is like you know sort of somebody said something and then all their fans are just sort of like liberal new york people i'm guessing like whoever follows this person but for some reason right after they said something online we were inundated with extremely racist prank calls even more than usual because i know i've talked about this before like we were getting like three a day now it's just like phone is ringing off the hook and i'm like i am i don't know how to i don't know how to process the fact that like these people that are a fan of the super liberal open-minded like whatever person these fans are do you think these are related Oh, yeah. It was like night and day. It was immediately like after it was posted online. That's and I don't crazy. know how to process the fact that that is happening. Right. right. And and it's it's really interesting. But, you know, whatever. That's how I'm feeling. How are you feeling, Danny? Um, It's like a mix. Um, You know, like this is not my first rodeo, like being um being in a situation that's uncomfortable as a, like a personally um and professionally you know i've um i've been doing this i've been running businesses in new york for what seven years now and yeah opened many a couple restaurants closed a couple restaurants you know i've had lawsuits with former staff members former business partners you know personally like gone through divorce with young me who i was married with uh two for 10 years and also like professionally like being a chef when i got into this industry um you know and a lot of the the issues that are coming up and the allegations that are being thrown my way which many of them are true sorry it's just so just to make sure our listeners are all on the same page the stressful incident that young me is talking about that happened this week is that someone made uh public allegations directed against you for misconduct yeah, they're very vague they weren't naming anybody or our restaurant but they basically specifically described it very well the issue the 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 issue that i have well so back to my feelings about it Mm -hmm. yeah it's not the first time this has come up so they the this person rehashed issues that happened that we were that the restaurant was sued for and so Mm. my name you can research it's online it's everywhere but like we were sued for um, allegations of racial discrimination, of um, physical and verbal abuse, of yeah. 
um, I mean, wage and tip like discrepancies. I mean, everything you can really go for. And previous to that, you know, one as I have a restaurant called Mission Chinese Food, and you know, I mean, I you know have this business, and I. The first one when it opened in New York in 2012 was like amazing. It was like a rocket. We rode all the way to the top. Yeah. And it was like fueled by a lot of like alcohol and just hard work and like, you know, inability to run a business properly. And it got mm. shut down by the health department. So that was a first big blow. You know, it's like I've like seen my I've had a fall from grace many times. So I've been here before and I've got pretty thick skin. I know how to handle it and navigate it. And I think to my feelings of this week and the allegations um, that have been thrown my way, you know, I've, I've thought about it. And I know that I know what it's like to like my therapist is like, you've been here before. And she, you know, I, I know, I know what it feels like and I know what coping mechanisms don't work. And I know what coping. And so I'm trying something new and I'm really trying to find the positive in all of these allegations because many of them are true. You know, like yeah. um, some of them, I don't, I have no idea where they're coming from, but many of them are true and I'll take accountability and I apologize. We can go through that um, and we will, but I, I feel like ultimately I feel hope and I feel positive. Um, I feel if I were to feel three things, it'd be like hope, hopeful, and I feel overall positive, but I also feel very sad and I feel very sad, not for myself or the person that threw the allegations my way. But for the staff members that worked at the restaurant at the time period that they're describing, that signed up for something that we were selling, but behind closed doors wasn't actually happening. And I, and I will take full accountability for negligence as a business owner. But I just want people to know that like, as soon as I was made aware of any of these incidents happening, which I, a lot of them I didn't know about until it was too late, Yeah. Um, I was also terrified because I had a lot of managers in place that were, and HR company, all these things that were, all these like things that were supposed to insulate me as a business owner that would protect me and help, you know, all these like kind of like fail safes, catch alls. But I was really scared to engage with my staff when they wanted it to come straight to me. Cause mm -hmm. I was, in my opinion, I was like, well, you've already told the man, like these people I trust and they said it's good. Or there was a lot of that happening. And you've gone to HR and HR says a it's lot, fine. Yeah. A lot of pushing off responsibility to other people that, ultimately failed but i want people well. if i want if if i can make one thing about this whole situation and i don't want to spend a lot of time on this because there's a lot i want to talk about personally but i would like it's not about me and this person it's about if if one of the, if someone out there is mad or hurt I, I would hope that they would be able to hear this and hear me say i'm sorry you know that's well, my main i think main yeah. main well feeling. i think that's a good point because at this point it's just becoming like a we have not spoken publicly about this period because we were just like, okay, this is something that has to go through someone's system. Um, and also there are parts of the story. Obviously we have a side of the story that we have not spoken about yet. Um, but it's just, you know, it just looks like two high profile people that have a platform like going after each other when the people that were actually hurt don't have a platform right. and they don't have a job at this point. And like what, you know, what, what's being exploited here, you know, for what, you know? And I feel like Danny's always felt that way and he's always felt like it's best to keep it under wraps. But also I think because of a lot of those actions, a lot of times Danny, you always end up looking like the guilty party. And I, <clears throat> and I want to explain publicly for the first time what actually happened 
between this person, I'm going to call them person X, who is a person that made allegations toward us relentlessly at this point. And as time has progressed, the allegations are getting more and more. What's the nature of these allegations? Are they like the allegations are every okay? I'm gonna li- I'm gonna list them. And uh, again, they were not directed toward us, but it was just dis- we were described. The restaurant was described in a way that well, they were directed like, at me. Oh, at Danny. You right. know, obviously he wasn't named, but it was like obviously Danny, right? Okay. Um, the, the allegations range from sexual harassment, misogyny. I think homophobia, um, co-opting queer culture, cultural appropriation, stealing somebody else's recipes, sabotaging somebody's career. Um, I don't know what there, there's probably tyrannical boss, tyrannical boss, toxic workplace, just literally just, you know, everything. And, and obviously like, yeah, I mean, again, like, I think this is maybe a testament to your resilience Danny or maybe you just had experience you've had enough experience where like you said you've been knocked down plenty of times before where right yeah you're you're owning up to it and you're taking accountability but I mean obviously some of those things are true right and if, and if I were you like you like you said you, there are some of these allegations you don't know where these are coming from and you wish you could well, find Danny's- out better but it, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I would be so fixated on like. Well, I mean, again, it's it's not the first time. It's not the first time this has come up. So the first time, first time around that these allegations were thrown my way, it was for three years. I've been silent, and I let I took the high road. I was like, you know what, I'm 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 I just can't fight fire with fire. Like I don't want to. But also, yeah. this is what was confusing, and I really want to say this right now. This is what was confusing to me because we have. We have we know what actually happened, and when it was happening, I was like very confused as Danny's um, reaction. And I think we're gonna get to this later in the podcast sure. why Danny reacted like this. But okay, so this is these are the facts, Brian. So person X, the person with all the allegations, there is a there is also a level of wrongdoing that I believe the reason why the accusations are are relentless and like they're so like fixated on you know danny is because there was a level of wrongdoing on their part and i think that they're there that person has a fear of that information coming out and that information is that when we hired this person x it was like a very high level position and they hired somebody underneath them that they knew from another restaurant and at that other restaurant it was already known that that other person was a sexual harasser so person X hired their friend, even though they knew this information. So for mm. months, that person for years, for years, Three years. was wow. doing, doing inappropriate things and saying inappropriate things to staff members. And then, co- and then the staff members would come to person X because they were running the restaurant at that point. And person X purposefully hid that information from Danny. And I mm. think what's going on here is a lot of people assume that Danny knew that this harassment was happening and mm. they didn't realize that the buck was stopping at person X because that was mm. their friend. I don't I don't actually know why they never well, brought it up with me. Apparently one time they said there so, was one incident mm-hmm. and then the one person, can I just tell the story yeah, and tell me if I'm wrong? And then there was one person that came up to person X and said there was a harassment issue and then person X said, do you want to take it to HR? And Person X is claiming that that staff member said they didn't want to take it to HR. And so Danny was like, that's the only thing in all these years that Person X said. 
Right. And then later on, that staff member came up to Danny and said, this is what's been happening. I've been telling person X about it and they haven't done anything. Mm. I don't know why. When Danny heard that, he immediately contacted HR. Right. HR made person X fire her, their friend. And after that, after a few meetings with HR, we came to the conclusion that person X also had to be fired because they were either, I don't know, covering for their friend or, or just maybe they forgot, maybe they were busy, maybe it made them uncomfortable for whatever reason, did not tell anyone else. Right. Did not tell. Right. Right. So on the day, you know, like when you, when you're getting terminated, we, people usually say don't come into work until Tuesday at 1 PM. Right. So we said that. And then, person x obviously put two and two together knew that they were gonna get terminated and a few hours before the hr meeting sent in a letter of resignation no mm. they they resigned on instagram they didn't even send oh, a letter of on, resignation well, on on instagram they resigned which they've now deleted wow which is a very nice post and it had very nice oh, pictures and it of sa- us and together it, said, like, and it was really nice and it and it kind of made it sound like they had decided to move on right which right. and then we were like we were all like we get it you don't want you don't want to you don't want to get terminated and then somebody asks you why did you get terminated and you have to be like i i hit a sexual predator like that that's fucking nobody right, fucking right. wants to say that and i understand and that companies what? will like, sometimes do this where they give employees the opportunity to kind of resign on their own yeah, terms we didn't because, give them the opportunity well, right. they just we put had, two and two well, we together we had a severance package and it was going to be so first we were like strategy. why did first we were like why did this person leave like this why don't they because they had a severance package that was like very fluffy they were making six figures at the time yeah, you know sure. like uh, the severance package was like asked like it was just like and we were like so confused like why didn't they take this deal and then later on they started like literally a barrage of like accusations against danny and i was just like reading all these accusations like okay some of them yes danny's like a mean boss i don't really know i've never work with no, them I'm, i've been for, a mean i know boss, you, you're a mean sure. boss and some right. things in there i like agree you know like the joking is too intense or whatever but like the like right the, the fact of the matter is that the truth the factual truth is this person that is ac- accusing danny of all this had a heavy hand in the toxic workplace environment that they were running on their own mostly they brought in the staff members. They hired them knowing they had a history because we found out through our bookkeeper that this person is known to sexually harass staff members from the previous restaurant where they became friends. They knowingly Jeez. brought this into the restaurant. And a, lot of the, and, and a lot of the problems that are arising are from the employee's assumption that person X was telling everything to Danny, which they were 100% not. I'm saying this very very comfortably if you know what i'm trying to say i'm saying this very comfortably and i'm not at all afraid to say this publicly if you get my fucking drift right and and i think that the bigger issue here and the reason that i didn't know it was an issue because you know as in in restaurants um groups of people tend to work together and go from place to place together i did that early in my career i follow my favorite chefs around one of my favorite chefs was like a really severe drug and alcohol had a very and my industry is riddled with drug and alcohol dependency but and it was very abusive and (laughs) toxic but i but i but i i followed him you know and so when this person x hired the the their previous it was their previous boss from the job they worked at before yeah um 
they brought their staff kind of a majority of their staff members with them from their other job so Got what it. ended up happening for the first couple of years fine you know fine and then we start promoting this idea and because i really gave person x a lot of autonomy i was i have this terrified feeling of people i want to get i don't trust a lot of people i don't let a lot of people a lot of people close to me we'll go into that later but this person i really i was like it's your show run it how you want and i i trust you yeah yeah and and you know i think and i was really p- pushing this person forward and like and their and their and their whole their whole the whole like idea and i believe in this and i believed in this then is that mission could be this progressive uh, inclusive workplace that went against kitchen culture facade. that like i had gone through perpetuated by this one person but, yeah but hear me out so it, i was like you know we were really selling that and if you go back and read on mission and you know person x or myself it's like oh my god like i had things thrown at me when i was in kitchens i would never subject my staff to that when in fact i've thrown stuff at people and i threw something at people when mission chinese one opened in new york because i, was, I did not know that oh I my god threw, like a butane burner at a line cook oh because they were like Manny. hiding something from me <laughs> oh and it, it was god. like but that 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 period of time also right, was like know. just uh, there's no excuse. But like again, like I'm out here. I'm, I'll, I'll point the finger at myself. I'm out here saying like, oh, like I want it to be inclusive and yeah, progressive yeah. and all this. But behind closed, so what happens is, a lot of people catch wind of this. A lot of admissions hot. People are like, oh my god, I want to work here. I want to be a part of this different thing. Yeah. yeah. And I believe that was happening at this point because after the first restaurant closed, I learned a lot of lessons and. I think that person X and I had a couple of years off to really kind of like galvanize. And, I, and I'm not like the issue. The hard thing is I have a lot of respect and I, I, I've never, I've had a hard time speaking out for multiple reasons, but I hold person X on this pedestal and I have a lot of respect for them. Yeah. But what I'm saying is yeah. people started like getting upset when new staff started cycling through and we need to hire more people. And it wasn't just this team of people that were used to this abusive staff member who most likely had already s- been sexually inappropriate with them or they v- witnessed it yeah um it was new people and i've gotten dms and i've had to be answerable not just I mean, in not legally in a lawsuit but also you know privately people have reached out to me especially recently they're like hey i want to let you know i worked for you at this time and mm. you know like i mean I, they never interacted with you and they were just like yeah they're like i, just, I was kitchen. like someone dm someone was commenting on a post and i and i i dm them because i was like you know what I don't want, I, mean, I, I can see you're upset. But we have a lot of mutual friends, this person, and I didn't know who they were. And I was like, hey, like, you know, I, I really, I'm sad that you feel this way. Like, I, I, about my restaurant, my business, and if obviously aired out, like, I'm here. So, but maybe we can do it here, not on in comments. You know, I'm not going to come for you. And I'm not going to, like, have an argument in comments. And they're right. like, oh, actually, I worked for you. Like, I worked for you. And I'm like, I was like, oh, I'm sorry, I don't remember. They're like, I worked for you for a while. And, you know, I want to let you know, like, um, I worked under the, this this staff and I signed up for this job because I thought it was going to be this amazing progressive thing. And mm-hmm. I was really wrong. And I suffered a lot of abuse and I tried to report oh it up. God. And like when I did, I was told not to. And oh. and actually, you know, I swore off coming there. You know, I swore I've never come back. But I saw the work you guys are putting in like, because, you know, it's been three years since this person X left. Ugh. And so they've come. She, this person was like she was like I w- i've come a couple times because i'm friends of friends and p- you know my friends go there and she's like i really appreciate the work you guys have put in i can tell a, a big difference well, not just in the now. not just in the kitchen but like in the whole as a restaurant as a whole because again it yeah. it reverberates through the whole business right. like when, when when there's something not right happening the issue was that like it, it affected everyone and that it yeah. wasn't really the just the kitchen that was complaining it was the can front I, house too also i just want to say you know there we're 
totally owning up. And I've said this, said this actually on the podcast before. As business owners, that's negligent. You know, that's negligent of us that we we left the show to somebody that like. Right. I mean, what what the hell were they doing? I don't know. But as business owners, but I you mean, know what? Yes, that just happens. You hire people. And not to say that this makes it permissible in any way, but no, you know, yeah. like the restaurant industry at large, it has a it has a culture of where there's a lot of you it's kind of abrasive it's rough around the edges like you have you work long hours you're kind of in the trenches i mean that's what anthony bourdain shot him to the public eye it was like the his book kitchen confidential where it kind of exposed this idea so when you're it it kind of glorified that idea too and that right so as someone who doesn't work in that industry i'm not saying it makes it permissible but it makes it hard. You have more blind spots to it, and you could be impervious to it. Because you're used to it. We grew up in right. that culture. But, I, but, thought, I'm, but also, I just want to say one. Th- yeah. I just want to say one thing about this. Also, this person X now. Not only are they constantly accusing Danny of everything that we already said, but right. the, what makes me so upset is because I know what happened in our business with them, and I know that they are a big part of the problem and b- big part of the toxicity. And mm. that they were, they had so much power and they were making so much money and they, and they were right alongside Danny. I don't understand how people can see somebody that is wielding so much power in their industry and they're saying, they're calling out the industry and saying, this is a toxic industry. Thank God I never did any of that. And that, that blows my mind to me that people are like buying into the fact that this person is like, Oh, I, I'm from this toxic industry and I worked every day to change it and everyone abused me and I never abused anyone. Mm. And, and I'm like, I think I think it plays into the fact that all of us right now, we really want to look for a hero, right. like some sort of like angel of like every nothing I ever I've ever done is wrong. And meanwhile, I'm just like remembering all of the all of the things that I've seen this person do. And I'm just like, uh, who in the who in like who can say I succeeded in a toxic workplace environment without being toxic. How does that, how does anyone believe that is, is Mm. that's what blows my mind. And they're, and they're using that image to like boost themselves up, you know, like that fake morality thing that always, you know, Brian, I always talk about this, right? No human being in the world is like untarnished. How are you, how are, how did you grow up in the same system as me and somehow didn't get, you know, burnt in the fire? Right. That, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, especially recently there are, I mean, we can speak to it in the comedy industry, you know, it is a, it it is a culture that I think in many ways has, it has similarities to the culinary industry where you work late hours. There's a lot of uh, toxicity in it and you have people who call out uh a lot there's a lot of call out behavior and then it's it's exposed that these people who are calling out are also being outed for transgressions and being toxic too and um and i think it speaks to just the changes that are happening in society at large where uh we we live in a very polar Right, we we live in a very polarizing time. Their political opinions are very black and white, and yeah. there's not there's there needs to be more nuance. And you know, these people who we hold as heroes in the public light, they're also human too. And and that doesn't mean that they're bad or good or whatever. There is no such thing as a good or bad person. There are people, 
that do good and bad things. And right. honestly, most people are good and we just make really big mistakes sometimes. And you know what? I'm like, I give this person the benefit of the doubt. Maybe right. they're scared. You know, we've done, well, I've done a lot of things cause I'm scared. Why well, also, I, like I said, I, I, I've inventoried myself a lot, you know, because again, like, I like young me are saying like people right now they want to have a villain and a vi- it's like every it's this culture of like a villain and a victim right yeah. or a hero and a bad guy and like you're saying there's no such thing really as a hero and there's not really such thing as i mean there are bad people that do bad things yeah but ultimately i've had to just i can only speak for myself mm-hmm. like the last thing i want is to come out here and be like accusing you people. know or like you know like go tit for tat and fight fire with fire right ultimately right. i'm the owner i'm the boss and a lot of the things that are being said about me are true. Yeah. And I apologize for that. That's what I want to come I mean, on I've here and say. I mean, I've seen you personally reach out to people all week. And they're, but you know. But before that even. I mean, yeah. it's been three years since this has happened. It since has the lawsuit been three hit, years. It's been three years. We've been it's sitting not, on this for three years. So, but like, <laughs> you know, you know, no one wants to hear. Like, I don't want You know, with call out culture and everything. Everyone's like, oh, this person did something wrong. And someone makes some PRE like. Sure. excuse or like apology that kind of like also covers their ass and it's like so full of it's like we had to you know it's so like legally like protective of this person where they're not really putting themselves <laughs> out there and be more like look straight up i fucked up a lot in my life yeah. i'm a human being have i ever been racist in my life yes yeah i have yeah have i ever been like homophobic in my life yes i have like as a business owner most likely not but i've had to think about it. i'm like yeah there have been instances where maybe i've I've teased someone and be like, oh, maybe like, like, you know, maybe you should like go on a date with this guy. Like, you know, you're really into like just inappropriate things that, that yeah. you said. And like, and a lot of that stemmed from my own, which we'll talk about a lot of that stemmed from my own insecurity about my own sexuality. Yeah. I was projecting right. that, but like, have I ever been a tyrannical boss? Yes, I have. Have I ever yeah. been unfair? Have I ever been manipulative to someone to benefit me and my company to make it easier for myself yes i have and i apologize for all of those things you know what danny i'm gonna say this right, right now you have a very easy time saying what you've done wrong mm-hmm. i'm also like that and i feel like that's why we got along so yeah. well because we are both children of abuse and right. we have similar you know um personality types and but you have a very hard time calling other people out on if they've done something wrong. Well, we can go into that. Yeah, I, 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 I grew mean, up I, in... I, I know, but I like, like, I, I th- like yeah. I, if, see, I totally get where Danny's coming from because I... It's scary. I, yeah. Well, I, I'm similar in terms of my personality type where the last thing I would want to do is just to fight fire with fire and instead fully take the blame and accept right. responsibility and then just see the positives and just move on. Because that's, I mean, that's the only thing right, I but think that's, you know, what, that's totally that fine. Though. But I, I think that that's like the mindset of wrong and right, bad and good right. person. Whereas in no, it could, you can totally be a bad person, do wrong. Not a bad. I don't believe in bad people. You can do wrong things, but you can also say that the person X was, that was standing next to you right, was also really doing hard. bad things. Well, I had a really, you and know, my I, I mean, like I want to, you know, obviously I want to move into your life. Right. What's just this? Like we ask on our podcast, we ask this question because all our guests are Asian how mm. asian are you well that's a good question because <laughs> i'm by heritage like i'm korean mm-hmm. i i was a, born in korea mm-hmm. um but i was adopted at the age of three months and i was three months old i was adopted and i grew up in oklahoma city and both of my parents are white yeah mm. and so and you know and, and if you want to ask this week how asian am i feeling it's a very good question because you know i've been i've been accused of co-opting Asian culture, Chinese culture. Yeah. And it's really made me take a deep, 
dive into myself, am I doing that? Like, mm. am I culturally and, and appropriating? Culturally appropriating. Mm. And why is it so hard for me? Why am I not making Korean food? You know, and like I think at the time when I really when we really popped up, I know, off, but like, like in in the in the question of like culturally appropriating, are you even? I mean, who is you're adopted? Do you know what I mean? Well, that's like no. So how and Asian so, am I feeling? Just to answer the question, yeah, yeah. more than I have before. You know, um, I grew up in a society in Oklahoma, the buckle of the Bible Belt. All I wanted to be, we were very we were poor. My dad worked for General Motors. My mom worked for the church. Very religious. And I think yeah. a lot of Korean adoptees that were adopted in the 80s, a lot of them were adopted into these like very religious, um, culty, like, like, um, states. So, um, yeah. I had like, there, I knew one other Korean adoptee in Oklahoma, mm-hmm. went to the same church. A lot of these adoption agencies, we were, uh, I was adopted by, uh, through Dillon International, I think. And they, we, my parents found out about the adoption through the church that we went to. And right. we went to like this mega church, it was like 5,000 people. Right. And, um, so like I, but I grew up wanting to be like an Abercrombie model. You mm-hmm. know, I wanted to be like the whitest, most successful, richest. And there were a lot of like, um, we can just get right into this because young is like one of the only people that knows about this, but there were a lot of, yeah. there were a lot of like, um, class divides within that church. Like we were poor. So we sat on this side of the church and the writ pastor and the pastor's grandson and all their kids, like they had their own private parking garage at the church and everyone, oh my they, God. Came, they were, they were basically like these celebrities. So yeah. it was like, like obvious class divides within the yeah. church and then how? And then were there other Korean kids in that community? There was one other Korean kid. And then and other um, people of color? Or? So Yeah, I mean, it was pretty, it was fairly mixed. Oh, I mean, okay. for, for mm-hmm. Oklahoma, it's, it's pretty culturally diverse. I mean, they were really, I had a lot of Vietnamese friends growing up because mm. there's a pretty big Vietnamese population in Oklahoma, but okay. not, I only knew one other Korean kid. Okay. And he was okay. adopted. And our parents were friends. Our dads both worked at General Motors. Mm. And they were like, let's adopt Korean kids. Right. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and I guess that like, you know, I, I had I kind of like idolized the idea of this like white, successful mm. um, person. And I, that came from, you know, we went to church Monday, Wednesday, Friday and Sunday. Sunday, we went to church in the morning and at night. And when I was six years old. Uh, you know, there was this, we put on this huge theatrical production. You should look it up. Actually, it's really insane. Like, I think you can find them on YouTube, but it's like the church was ca- called, um, should I mention the church or no? if you want, I don't know if you want to, maybe not. I don't want to like out this person because, but, <laughs> but, but basically the pastor, the pastor's grandson, the pastor's grandson was my age or like, like maybe actually like two years young, a year younger than me. Mm-hmm. And, um, every year they put on this really big theatrical production, this mm-hmm. big, like, um, Christmas play. And I yeah. remember, like, really definitively, this is my first memory as a child. This is crazy, actually. This is, like, one of my first memories. I was, like, five or six. And, um, you know, I was going to the bathroom. Like, when the kids, we were all shepherds in the shepherd's herd. So, and during the during the scenes that we weren't in, there was, like, this, like, like um, room that they put all the kids in. And they, they were kind of babysitting us, right? Until it was our mm-hmm. turn to go out and be on stage and walk through the crowd with the shepherds. And then we'd walk back up. And we wore these like uniforms that were just basically like dresses that had like a little like um, tie around the waist. Mm-hmm. Got it. And I remember like all the kids, the bathrooms were um, in this, in this, um, it was like a, it was a nursery um, set up for a nursery because they also use it as a nursery during church. But um, there were two doors. There's one door on one side and one door on the other. Right. And then there's a toilet. So I was going to the bathroom, I remember. And this kid, this, the pastor's grandson who I was like, oh my God, this is like. I want to be friends with this person. Like a celebrity? Right? Celebrity, yeah. powerful person. I mean, like mm-hmm. had all the cool toys. Like, 
you know, and never really accepted me. I was like the weird kid. They called me a chink all the time at church. It was really, really yeah. hurtful. And I, and as an adoptee, like, you know, I just wanted people to like, I was like the most different person. Yeah. Um, Mm. I mean, when I got a, you know, I mean, we would be adopted, we'd be adopted at church and people would think I would be lost all the time when I'd be walking through the doors with my parents. They'd be like, oh, mm. wait, where are you going? Where are your parents? I'm like, they're right here in front mm. of me. Like we would go to Chili's after church and people would be like, party for two. And I'd be like, no, like they're like, no, he's our kid. Like party for three. So oh, anyways, no. I'm, in, I'm in the bathroom. This kid comes in, he pulls up my skirt as, you know, my, my dress thing as most, you know, young kids are like, you know, I see that a lot with Mino, our son. Like, he's, kids are curious about their private parts and stuff. But yeah. at that moment, I knew in my heart of hearts, like, something was wrong. Yeah. But I wanted to be, I wanted this person to like me. And it's, it's like, at that moment, that was the first time I was sexually abused. Yeah. And it went both ways. Like, it wasn't like this kid was just touching me inappropriately or like, like, you know, I mean, sucking my dick and shit like that. Like, it wasn't like, I was doing it too. And so we're growing Wait, up in what? this culture. Were you doing it because he wanted you to yes, do it? Yeah. Ma- he made you do it? Yes. And you felt like a power dynamic because he was yes. the richest kid in the town. Yes. And, his, his and it was this big was secret that like I I felt so ashamed, right? Mm. This went from the age of 6 to 16. And wait, how old was he? You said he was He was like maybe 5. Oh. He was a year he's a year younger than me in high school cuz we ended up going to the same schools, same high school. It happened at school. It happened at high school. It happened at like church. It happened like any, I mean, I'm around this all the time. And so like I had this really big identity crisis because growing up in the most, we went to assemblies of God church, which is basically Pentecostal. People rolled around the floor, spoke in tongues, all that shit. And so like, it was not uncommon for during church, which our church services would be like three to four Mm -hmm. hours long for kids to like go walk around like, Oh mom, I'm going to go to get the water fountain. I'm going to go to the bathroom. And this kid would always, he would sit across from me, directly across from me, and he right. would like kind of like, you know, be like, let's go. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in the beginning I knew it was wrong, but I just wanted to be accepted. And as I got into my like more formative years of like, you know, 11, 12, 13, I was like, you know, you were hit puberty. And I'm like, mm-hmm. we both have like girlfriends at the time, mm. but it's like the yeah. biggest thing in the world to have sex before marriage. Right. So I'm like, right. I'm like for somehow this was like, I was like, oh, this is fine. Like, but I was like, am I, am I gay? And at that time in a, a Pentecostal church in Oklahoma city. Like that's the, one of the ultimate sins is like being gay. You're going to hell. Right. right? Yeah. And, um, but I was like, I was like, it was, a, I don't know if this is common with abuse, but I find, I kind of felt like, Oh, well, like you liked it. Yeah. I liked it. Was it was your choice. But then that caused me to also, you know, we started, it, he kind of, what I found out later and we all kind of knew we all, a lot of other boys our age had also been abused by this person. Cause he had a lot of power. He had a lot of power. So Everyone wanted to be his best friend and he would have best friends every and week. And he was right? using that specifically to gain sexual favors from other children his right. age. And then, but then what oh. happens then after that is then me and my, when I, my best friend, this Korean kid, we start messing around, you know, because mm-hmm. we're both being abused by the same person. And so it goes from the age of like six to like 16. And I, there's a really interest intricate interesting part about this where i you know in church it's all fear-based they control you by fear so like they're like oh the world is ending in 1996 yeah and this is when the antichrist is coming it was always just i was terrified so i was like i got really scared because like the next the end of the day world was supposed to be the next day so i told my dad i was like me and my korean friend were outside playing basketball with his dad Mm -hmm. and his dad we were like hey like we want to tell you something Mm -hmm. like we've been doing something really wrong together for a long time and we want to tell you because we know we're going to go to hell mm-hmm. and we were probably like 11 or 12 at that time mm-hmm. wow and um 
the dad, you know, looking back in hindsight, you know, as a father, like you're like, oh, like obviously this is like, I his dad did the right thing. His yeah. dad was like, oh my god, are you guys okay? And you know, but it kind of splintered. They moved out. They they moved. Like they they got out of the church. They didn't say anything. They just moved. They moved. And this is yeah. a kid that I grew up. We were both adopted from three months old, so I grew up with this mm-hmm, kid. Mm-hmm. So we just don't see each other anymore. Um, I got the courage. But it was still shuttered. It was hushed. No mm-hmm. one said anything, right? And yeah. everyone knew. I think parents in the church knew, mm-hmm. but they were too afraid to speak up because of the power and the acceptance they felt mm-hmm. from this really powerful rich. Because again, like these, this church was not only like, it's not like people, people went to church there, but like it was, we lived in Oklahoma City. So a lot of the businesses and the people in the church supported each other. Mm-hmm. You know, you got your car worked on by the mechanic. You got this, this, this. You got your yeah. hair done by this person. Yeah. And like, it's just like that you're never outside of that community, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So They're very, very influential in the community. I finally speak up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, I finally speak up at age like twelve, like mm. right after this happened. And my friend moves, kind of weird, kind of suspect. Everyone's like, "Where? Why did? Why did he leave?" And my mom ultimately got really mad at me. She called me a faggot. Mm. She was like, and and beyond that, my mom was a very abusive person. Like I, as an adoptee, my mom was very mentally ill. My dad, mm. he kind of distracted himself with work. He was always at work. He was work from nine to five, six days a week. Right, mm-hmm. mm. and my mom was horribly abusive like beat us, like wash our mouths out with soap all the time. The, the biggest thing, the most, I think, formative thing for me is she always threatened to unadopt me. She's like, you know, I should have never fucking adopted you. I'm going to take you back. And the, thi- the scary thing is they actually did unadopt my older sister. So I had an older sister that was like five years older than me, and they unadopted her. They sent her back to the adoption agency. And so I lived in constant fear of abandonment my entire life. And then when I actually right. spoke up, my own mother shamed me, but my dad was like, no, this is fucked up. Yeah. We told the pastor's grandson's parents, and we were shamed, and we were excommunicated from that church. My parents, my mom ended up passing away when I was 18, two years later, and I, but I still went to the church because these are my family. These are my friends. These are my girlfriend goes there. I know these people still, so I kind of still went around, yeah. and you know... That, I think, in an innately is why I've had a hard... I mean, this whole process, again, like, you see the positive uh, in things. Yeah. It's like, I never would have been able to speak about, about this. Danny, about, young me is the one of the only people that knows this ins- secret. About you know, I, I know the story, right. but this is an extremely yeah. intense story. Oh, sorry. This I mean, no, don't, don't be sorry, but it, this is, like, this is a no. lot. And well, I, I don't want. I, mean, I don't want. Don't be sorry. I, I but what's like heartbreaking? I, is I know, but like I, I think that that okay. So I, I've been auditing myself a lot, and like, why am I in this industry? Yeah. Why is my job going right. to people every day, trying to convince them that I'm good enough? With a, whether it's a food critic or a you know a, a customer that comes in the restaurant at night, and convince them, they're just going to tell me how wrong something is, yeah. and I'm going to do everything I can to make it right, and it's my fault. That's the service industry of it yeah, in and of that itself. Makes a lot of sense. That is, in and it's of itself, it attracts people that yeah. have been abused. The whole industry is based on the fact that you are there to be abused by people and that feel the right. if I ever call out right. a food writer that's wrong, you're yeah. excommunicated from the food scene. That's why no one's ever been like, oh, Pete Wells is actually full of shit. And like, you know, like that. Are, you, are you going on record no, saying that? No, but it's like, and like, <laughs> and like that, maybe that article he wrote about Guy Fieri was really mean. And like, and maybe he did that for himself. It was wow, performative. Yeah. It was performative. Yeah. So he Danny. could, because like no one was reading a lot his of reviews it's performative. anymore. Danny, it I just like, want to say, just, I want to take a second wow, because I yeah. feel like Jesus. that story was extremely intense. 
I mean, and that was very quickly that we heard a lot of information. Well, I just wanted to get it out there because I, I know, but like, like speaking out and like standing up for myself my whole life. That's the point we were I'm, talking about. You're like, you, you know, you've had a hard time standing up for yourself. I, I think out. I see why, you know, I, I understand why it's hard for you to say that somebody else did something wrong because the time you, you're traumatized by this one time you did do that. And then your family was your banished own, from your community your, and your mom blamed like, you. My mom blamed me. I find it interesting that what started this entire conversation was us asking you, like, how Asian are you? And right. we we purposely keep it very vague and up for interpretation because uh, it, it's a way for our guests to understand or try to comprehend how they uh, relate to their relate to their identity. And yeah. um, all of that makes a lot of sense to me. And it's... Uh, you know, it's uh, albeit it was very intense, like Youngmi said. I want to say that. Uh, I mean, it's it's not wrong intense. It's just a lot for people. You shouldn't to apologize I for mean, anything. You, and I think I just like if this, it's not it's not for me to like clear my conscience or I don't want to be. I'm not a victim. I don't no. want to make myself a victim. No. I just want to put this out there because there's got to be like other that. people. Like for all the other people that were there with me that also spoke up that got excommunicated and shamed. I mean, I mean, you basically grew up in a cult, in yeah. a white supremacist cult, and you're yeah. one of the only people of color, and you were exploited for that. I also don't right. think that you, I don't, I don't think that we're making a correlation, obviously, between what we were talking about earlier right, right. and this, no. because obviously, in what we were talking about earlier is an incident between adults, and all the adults sort of messed up, and w- right, some right. of us messed up, and some of us did mess up more or whatever. But this specific incident sounds. Sounds like you're definitely abused, but it does sound confusing because the abuser was your age and what they had over you wasn't age, it was power. Right. And the fact that they knew that you couldn't go against them in a large part because you're a Korean kid. Right. And you're Korean and that has a big part of your identity. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Like this is all just processing all this information and it's... Yeah, like it sounds like you were trying to. I completely understand where you're coming from in your shoes, where obviously you knew that you were adopted. Like you look different from your parents, and your parents are white. And in a way, yeah, that must be a really hard question for you to answer. Like how how Asian are you? Because in a sense, like did do you feel that you have a yeah? Did you almost feel that you were? Was there like a betray, a sense of betrayal that comes with your identity? Because it's like, yeah, why? Being adopted? Well, so then, so yes, yeah, so there's an th- issue here. So my mom, not only was she threatened to like unadopt me all the time, right. but she was also terrified. And this mm-hmm. was a big point of contention with Youngby and our, my, our marriage, actually. Yeah, yeah. Where yeah. she was always like, Are you going to go find your real mom someday? Oh. Because if you do, then you're going to leave me and you're going to like her more. Oh. And like, and I and wow. I was programmed from a very young age. Like, no, I'll never leave you. You're my real mom. I'm never going to find this person God. because they she because she's like, well, because she like she she left you. That sounds like. like and I'm like, and I'm like, I'm and I'm like, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, please don't leave. Please don't leave. And through our marriage, and this was a big problem with young me and I, like I was always like, please never leave. I mean, how many nights would I be like, yeah, please yeah. don't leave me? Promise me you're going to stay with us. I mean, that was always I'm like, how long are we going to be together? And you had been programmed, like, oh, forever, Danny, forever. And we, it, 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 like, I ended up doing the same shit that was happening to me. Mm. And, it yeah. was, and I've grown and yeah. learned so much because Young Lee finally was like, this isn't working for me, dude. Like, you know, there's really no such thing as forever or yeah. how we, you know, 
we we discuss and understand it. Yeah. Our relationship yeah. and our dynamic. After we had our son, Yummy was like, look, we never really discussed our divorce publicly, but like I wanted like, to on the podcast. So like, here we I are. mean, well, maybe you can say, but you were like, look, we have a child. We're going to be in each other's lives no matter what. But like, yeah, you know, I can't handle being your mother, your therapist and your partner anymore. I need space. Yeah. And you know what? I am proud of you, Danny, because you've grown and I feel like you are you. You've done a lot of work and you've been in a lot of therapy right. and you're not like that kind of person. And, you know, I think today's a big step. Right. I initially from a long time ago wanted I obviously I never wanted to make you do it publicly, but I I was like, I knew that you were at a good place with it. And I've never really met anybody that's at this sort of place with this level of traumatic abuse. Um, And so I was like, Oh, it might be helpful for other people to hear. And I think you're right, Danny. I think a lot of Korean American adoptees who I know so many of them, I think that they were sort of brought into America to be like abused pets to uh, not all of them obviously I mean, that's a i'm little sure extreme. i feel like there I, was I know but like uh, in your case very specifically well, you were brought into to a a woman that had like severe mental illness right. so she could lash out and then you know what no cop was gonna you know what i mean that that's like white savior bullshit no cop right. is gonna arrest her or like think or judge her for treating you like shit because there's already a racist element there that no one's going to believe you over at this white woman right? right and i feel like that that's a big i'm not saying all korean american adoptees are going to shitty white people's families but i'm saying that probably exists a lot just like in our foster care system right and i i just feel like you saying this publicly that's reaching a lot of korean americans right now that went through exactly what you did and i feel like it's it's honestly i think this is like it's like breathtaking. Right. I feel like this is a big thing. Right, right. And you know what? I'm sorry that you had to do it on the heels of all this accusation because I know there's some fucking people listening to this that probably think it's like you trying to gain a, like some sort of like moral high ground or no. whatever. No. We, no. You've already said, you've already said you are being accountable for everything you've done wrong. It doesn't mean, if this is the adult world, we're not superheroes versus villains. It's nuance you can be a victim and also victimize other people. Right, exactly. You can do bad things and have had bad things done to you. There is no fucking gold star human being out there. And if and you know what? If somebody's saying that, that's the person that's suspect. Right. Well, we I don't mean, know I, who's saying I, that. I, I, it's, I just think, I think it's all interconnected though. Like, I think yeah. that like... The ability to own something, I've always, I've, I've always been like, yes, it's my fault. I'm wrong. Like, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. I know, but that, that's too much. But, You're doing but, it too much, and now but, it's but, confusing but people. It's confusing people, right? But, like, I think, I had to think about, like, why is that? Yeah. Why am I always like, yeah. my mom, so my, let's go back in on my mom, right? Because, like. Why not? Mom, <laughs> so, she had this complex where she always was, like, sick. And she would get mm-hmm. doctors to overprescribe her medications, and she was always in a wheelchair. She's also very ill. She got breast cancer when I was twelve. I think that's called right. Munchausen syndrome. Yeah, right. Well, I'm not when sure. you act when you're sick all the time. She like had, to get I had attention to, at a young age, at like 11, 12, She gets you know when all this sexual stuff's happening, she gets diagnosed with breast cancer, has a double yeah. biopsy, mm. um, 
I'm pushing her around in this wheelchair. We had to get a special van for the chair. So not only am I getting called ching chong all the time at, at school oh and church, but then are also like, oh, your mom's fucking handicapped. You know what I mean? Like, and my mom also played fuck. into this. Like she was the ultimate victim. Like right. she, she would like sense. intentionally, we would go, we would go test drive cars at the car dealership and she would intentionally back into another car and then cry and make it a big deal. And then mm. they would like end up like giving her more money off the car or she would go to lens crafters to get her eyes, her, her glasses fixed and she would make the person adjust them to a point that they broke. Aww. So, so she get a new pair of glasses and be this victim. So like I saw all these things from a young age and I was like, God, this is so crazy. But I was just, I always apologize to people for my mom. Mm. We would, we would right. go to dinner at places and she would be like ordering food. Mm-hmm. But as a punishment to us, she wouldn't order food for us. Oh, so she'd God. be like, Oh, they're not eating. And the waiter would be like, yo, ma'am, like, you have to order your kids food to eat. We'd be crying, you know? I'm like, no, it's okay. We don't want food. We're fine. It's so awkward. You know, so, like, I have this tendency to just be apologetic and, like, and, like, and, like, and be like, yo, oh, no, it's it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. You know what? It's not a big deal. Sorry. Let's just, like, call it a day. And yeah. I think that's from, from, my, from my childhood. It sounds like you were just looking for a sense of belonging and of course. try to be accepted by a group, right. whether and... You know, and from a young age, it was your own family. You couldn't find it there. So you go to your church. You wanted to be accepted accepted amongst the wealthier uh, yeah. white kids who went to your church. And yeah. I completely empathize because when you want to be accepted, you don't want to take up a lot of space. You know, you kind of right. just want to. I wanted to fit in too. Like, I mean, my senior right. year of high school, I had bleached hair. I had, we can, I, maybe we should put a picture of this on the podcast. <laughs> but I had like bleached frosted tips, blue contacts. I drove a Kawasaki Ninja. I had a Trans Am. I wore Abercrombie head to toe. Like I went to tanning salons. Like I just wanted to be like the football players that were yeah. like white. You yeah. know, I had a cheerleader yeah. girlfriend. Like it just was this weird thing for me because I knew, and I think so it many all, people though, not right, even right, right, adopted right. Asians. Oh, I mean, I that's just, just that's Asian adolescence. Americans. I mean, that's, yeah, but yeah. also that's high school too. Like, everyone's trying to fit in. Right. So, I mean, I'm not, I right. don't but even like, know what but I like, I, I think after that and after I like kind of discovered music and like, you know, like I was like, I, I was like, I can actually be a weird person. Right. I can do what I want. Yeah. But it took me getting out of high school and, and getting out of like that culty church. Like oh when my, my mom died, a I, literal cult. The moment Danny, that my mom died, I just stopped going didn't to church. Know all, I was, didn't know all those details. This, oh. this is a literal cult basically. Well, when I, my mom died, it was amazing cult. because you know what? It's kind of fucked up to say this, but I was so relieved. But it was hard for you to admit that to yourself because that seems like a quote unquote evil thought, you know, because she always always, because she always was like, when I die someday, you guys are never going to visit my grave. Like, you know, because she was (laughs) oh my God. she also had a she also had to get a heart transplant on Christmas Eve whenever I think on like the year like 90, 98. Or yeah. something like that. Mm-hmm. And so then not only has she had breast cancer and we dealt with that for many years, then she also had to have a heart transplant. And if you've ever oh anyone that has a heart transplant, it's really crazy taking a heart from another human being and putting it in another human being. Mm-hmm. And then all the medications that she needed. Yeah. You know, it was insane. And I remember the moment that she died. It was the first time I ever heard my dad cry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was working at the mall. I worked at an optometrist's office because my whole life, everyone's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I'm going to be a doctor because that's what people wanted to hear me say as an Asian American kid in mm, Oklahoma. Right. Really? And that was just because my whole life people were asking me questions like, why are your parents white? Mm. Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I just had to be, I have this sense. And I think that's why I'm drawn to the restaurant industry. I have this sense of like disarming people and making yeah. them feel comfortable. So, that, mm. you know, you do like, do that so intensely yeah. to this day. Yeah. So either I'm like, you know, like, I was working at the mall and my dad called me and he was like, you know, your mom died. 
and I was like, okay. And I cried. And of course it was very emotional, but yeah, if you, you know, I, I realized that it was kind of a relief because there was this, do you think you were crying life. for yourself? Maybe most the likely years of abuse had ended. Cause I have, you know, it's really hard and maybe, and I thought I struggled with that cause I was like, maybe as an adoptee, I just have a hard time having a real connection and with my mom cause she's not really my mom. That's what I really felt. And it also, that's, I think why, and selfishly, that's why when young me and I were married, I was really like, you didn't really want to have kids. And I was like, oh, like I, I mean, really love to have my own part of family because I wanted to feel what that felt like. Yeah. You know, I definitely uh, want to have a kid in some sense. Um, Can I just mention one thing really quick that, uh, you know, I touched on being like, it's very hard for you to point out when somebody else around you has done something wrong. Right. And it made me think of this article that I read um, <clears throat> about police officers and how they they have a hard time dealing with domestic abuse victims because they would show up and the women that were domestic abuse victims that called them would act nervous and like suspicious. And so the police would assume that they had done something wrong and they kept being like, you're lying and leaving them with, with their abusive husbands. And they had to be trained to recognize symptoms of PTSD and abuse, which makes somebody nervous and guilty and act shameful. And like when I see you, some and this was an issue during our our marriage sometimes i remember danny would call me and be like don't be mad don't be mad don't be mad and then you would say something like i lost my wallet someone someone stole my wallet and i and i would be like why would i be mad that someone stole your wallet but then (laughs) because you because you framed it in this way of like don't be mad don't be mad i would start to think in my mind that you were lying Mm -hmm. and i'm like oh like Danny probably spent all his money on jeans and now he's lying mm-hmm. that he got robbed. Right. But in actuality, and it took me years to figure out that you're actually telling the truth. Right. But because mm. you have like this PTSD reaction, you frame everything like it's your fault. Right. So it, it mm. took me years to understand that. And I feel like that comes into play in your life a lot. Right. And I think it's coming yeah. into play right now. Right. You know, right. You're, right. you're apologizing for shit that you haven't done. Right. You, some things you did do. Right. Yes. But some things you didn't do and you can't apologize for that. It's not yours to hold. Well, I mean, it just made me really just go back and like, I think as a publicly facing person now in life, and especially with call out culture, hopefully the next wave of call out culture is like like radical transparency. We've talked about this. Yeah. Like, you know, if you're going to be in the public eye. And you're going to like stand for things. And I've had the hardest time in my entire life being an activist. And I've always been like, why can't I be an activist? Why can't when, like, when things are happening culturally or, you know, and like I'm this free wielding kind of like weird person. Why mm. am I not making the most noise? And I'm like, well, I'm kind of scared because like it's difficult for me to like speak up and speak mm. out. And like the, I'm at the point now where it's like, you know, I, I do want to take accountability for things. And as a public facing person, like you have to go inventory your entire life and make that public record at this point. Um, yeah. And I think and I, and I think that like there's a selfish way to do that. Like, look, I was reaching out to people this past week and I was like, hey, I want to address my missteps as a former boss. You're trying to soothe yourself. Doing yes. That? Yeah, I believe so. It's all a sliding scale. I feel that uh, for a lot of you know the stuff that we call quote-unquote performative or in self-indulgent it's well can you is it a overall if it's like the net positive if, if there's an apology that transpires or mm-hmm. there are like amends that are tied then i guess overall it's still a good thing like what, it's, yeah when i've reached out to people i you know a lot of the times um i'd reach out to people and be like hey this is in no way shape or form you don't have to accept my apology 
I'm sorry. So I want to circle this back to the original question of how Asian are you? Uh, when you worked at the optometrist's office, you know, you were kind of processing and sort of trying to understand and come to terms with your identity as an Asian American person. So what I'm curious is, how has the how has your relationship to your Asian identity evolved? I feel that maybe was it once you started to work in the culinary space that it became emboldened and it, it took a new shape? I feel like, you know, it's got a good question. I feel like I started feeling when I met young me is when I actually started feeling like an Asian person, like an okay. Asian American. Wow. Because young me was also Korean, but also, you know, young me is half Korean, but yeah. young me really taught me a lot about Korean food. And like actually mm-hmm. the first pop-up I did, because at that point I never, I'd worked at a lot of Asian restaurants, mm. right? Oh, you ha- oh the sushi restaurants. Yeah, I worked at a lot of Japanese restaurants. Mm. But like, I obviously am not Japanese. And like, I mean, like they were, I, I loved Japanese food, but, and that's, it's funny. Like this whole, when I met Young Me, Young Me really introduced me to Korean food, what Korean food actually is, what it can be. Went to my, you know, went to Korea min- multiple times. We were married in Korea. I feel like I started feeling like an Asian American when I met Young Me. And mm. I feel like the, f- but it's funny because like, I always, made this excuse for not cooking korean food because mm. i was like oh mm. you know like it doesn't really interest me or like i love korean food i love yeah. eating it but i was like oh david chang does that let's just let dave do that but like yeah. as i really have been going through it this week and painful. like just mission mission as a whole painful about it yeah it was like it's like i just feel like i'm not worthy i'm not mm. and i think that the fear mm. the overall fear is and actually in my mind of a chef episodes i we do a pop-up in korea and we do you know sichuan food there but like I'm like, oh man, like the ultimate proving ground at this point in my life would be like, would my own culture accept me yeah. as a culinary person? I or mean, as a it's person? another uh, rejection. What if you're not good enough at making Korean food but, and you've already I mean, I been think, rejected? I, well, by, I mean, no, of, that, that's like your fear. That's, like, where you're, you, that's your fear. I'm but, not saying that's true. But I will say that like, you know, Mission is 10 years old now. Mm-hmm. And like, just really thinking about the future, like whatever we're doing, it's not, it's working fine. But like, I've been waiting to fall back in love with Sichuan food. Like that's why Mission mm. started as this pop-up inside of a Chinese it. restaurant. Yeah. And like I've been having this void in my life for so long. I'm like, why? You know, first I was like making fine dining food, but not really fine dining food inside of a Chinese restaurant. So it was like weird. And people were like, ooh, wow, this is a weird concept. You're in a Chinese restaurant and you're mm. not Chinese. You're making Chinese food. Is that appropriating? Right. Like, or is that co-opting or riding some uh, way to the top? Kind of. Like, I mean... It, it is, but it's very complicated it's with very, you because yeah. it's like if you made Korean food, like, there is an argument to be made that there's a very unfair and very like sadistic argument to be made that you don't have the right to make Korean food, right. which is out of your hands completely. But then it, yeah, it ends up being like, what do you have the right to make? Well, that's, then, so you know? that's the question. It's, Mission Chinese has always been this, ident- has had this identi- identity crisis, right? I Honestly, to- I just want to be like anyone saying that to you, I feel like is, I, I can't say that because I'm not Chinese and I don't know how that feels as a Chinese person to see someone else making my food and profiting off it. Yeah. I, I bet that feels like shit. Yeah. But I feel right. like but I feel like in your case, like I I would feel bad saying that you have to make Korean food. Like it just becomes a little more complicated. Well that's where we are in the world now. Yeah. You know, I think it's like right now the world is so divisive and it's very polarizing. You have to have Are you saying you're over making Mission Chinese food and this might the future I, is i've been over mission making mission chinese food for a long time if you came to mission chinese food in the past like 
three to six it years. It used to be fucking. I mean, it's great. It's still great. I'm not sorry. No, but that, like but. you, and that's the conversation I had with Greg, my business partner, who's yeah. also Chinese American. Anthony, my business partner, is also Chinese American. I'm not out here being like, here are the receipts of my ties to China. Look at my food. two Chinese friends. But no, but like, but like, I'm like, <laughs> so, hey, like, they're like, they're like, you know, like. It is kind of they're like he was like he was like you know because I was like hey man I'm really sorry that we all teased you and said maybe you should come out of the closet, like that's that's my shit and I apologize, um, very insecure myself and you know I just wanted to t- share that with him and he's like he's like no nah, I don't really care about that my bigger concern is like everyone's out here being like Danny Bowen doesn't deserve to make Chinese food what are you gonna do about that so he was offended by that he was like he's like what do oh, so like, we what do you answer. think and I'm yeah. like I'm like well. You know, maybe they're right. I remember in 2013, Eddie Huang came out with an article. It was like, he was Danny upset. Bowen, he's like, I go there and I eat the food. And I'm like, that's not real Chinese food. But congrats, you made it. And since then, and that article really struck a chord with me. Because like yeah. for a long time, I'm this like hipster chef that's like, oh, fuck authenticity. Who needs that? Not thinking that that could actually be really offensive to people that are actually tied to this culture it was more about me and i was very like performative but because inside it's like all restaurant people you're like fuck the critics who needs them but you really want everyone to like you we just want to be people pleasers right? that sounds like comedians to right. me brian at no. that moment i was like i'm gonna make the best mapo tofu that eddie huang has ever had and he's gonna come in and he's gonna approve of it right it took years and i think in the book you know i think that it's documented in one of the cookbooks that it's like our process it used to have 33 ingredients and then i went to chengdu and went with all these master chefs and like got their approval and like all this shit just to prove that i could make this dish and i was like greg when you come into the restaurant and you eat the chinese food does it come from a place of respect do you feel like it's it's like as a chinese american do you is it okay because i'm not over here making like mapo tater tots you know what i mean like i'm making mapo right. tofu and and that's like what i loved about mission is it like threw people for a loop you'd have people he's like he, people come in and they would have this barrage of like hickory smoked prime rib and like, you know, a Neapolitan style pizza from the wood oven and like scallop sashimi that tastes like the pho that I ate at in San Francisco. It was like it's had this identity crisis and then it would it's like it's basically a reflection of myself. And Greg's like, you know, I don't have a problem with that. The food is actually bomb. It's like really, really good. And it tastes like you'd have yeah. it in China or Sichuan restaurants. But he's like some people might come in that don't have any exposure to a lot of like authentic Chinese food. And they're like, Oh, this is what it's supposed to taste like when they have the scallop sashimi, which Mm -hmm. is not Chinese at all. And so, you know, I've been thinking about it. I'm like, you know, like a, when am I going to fall back in love? You know, mission really popped off because it was like at this point, this turning point where I wanted to quit working in restaurants. And I was like, I went and ate Mapo tofu with Greg actually. And my friend Brandon Jew at this restaurant spices too in San Francisco and I was like, oh, I wanted to make this food because it's really offensively, abrasively, like, it's just, like, in your face. Like, you can't have Sichuan food and not – there's not – there's a lot of nuance to making it properly and making it, you know, it's – there's a lot of balance. But, like, if you don't like spicy food or you don't like food – like, for years I've been cooking in fine dining, so it was just, like, everything was yeah. soft and melty and, like, not spicy. So I wanted to go to the exact opposite. And, like, that that really made me happy. It made me happy to be, like, kind of, like – I'm like, oh, I can be weird. Right. But now, yeah. 10 years later, like also during that point in my life, I was like drinking, doing drugs. Like I was like a totally different person. I just want to point out that I, I think the answer to the question, is it is it appropriate for for you to make that food lies in the hands of Chinese Americans. Right. And, and that's Chinese a discussion people. that should be had. And that and if what they're saying is something that you should hear. Yeah, and of I, I, um, I appreciate if people find offense to it 
Right. And of course, that's that's another, you know, obviously you're okay with like taking accountability for that. But obviously what you're saying is your food is a reflection of just your life. Like you're, right. you're pulling, you're pulling r- sources from, like you said, the pho that you had growing up, your, your background in Italian fine dining, your background in sushi, mm-hmm. you know, like these are just your, the, yeah. the things that you're that pulling from and making sense. Right. You're a Korean American adoptee who grew up in Oklahoma, who spent most, most, a lot of your formative years in these strange like mega churches like yeah yeah you're you're you you, are your entire upbringing is rife with identity crises and just sort of understanding yourself now you know understanding the menu of mission chinese food it makes sense to me you know there's all you're you're derived you're pulling inspirations but it's all done with respect and it's not it doesn't feel exploitative in any way it's very authentic but it's like it's an amalgamation of a lot of different things and that's well and i think and here's the kicker it's like if it were a fine dining restaurant Mm -hmm. and it was four hundred dollars and i'm guiding you through these dishes that have made my career nobody fucking wants any but what i'm saying is that's okay but when mm. Mission Chinese throws every dish you can on the menu, it's very confusing. I and mean, then now also, we're at a point where it's like, yeah. that's not okay. You know, you go to like other restaurants of like that are like chef-driven restaurants. The chefs are basically making food that they grew up eating, or like yeah. basically inspired by their heritage. And I've run so far away from that. And Youngmi, you've you've pointed this out. You're like, yeah, yeah. Danny, why are you so afraid of like actually being yourself or like exploring? Maybe the last piece of this puzzle is me figuring out who I am as a Korean person. Yeah, but you know what? You know what, though? You you know how I was like, I can't speak for Chinese people because I'm not Chinese, but I can speak for a Korean person that grew up in Korea. Sometimes I see a Korean-American person that doesn't know anything about Korean food. I would do the work. But just because they're Korean ethnically, they're like, I'm making Korean. And I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. I think it's you just just cut out... You're talented. I'm not saying that that's going to be you. I'm, I'm saying this is the questions that i have in my head about who gets to make what right. let's say you are chinese and you grew up in in fucking texas or whatever and like you've actually never had authentic chinese food but that person gets like we're we're all asian americans do you right. know what i mean like we are americans well i'm in a weird spot what because does that like mean? i mean americans don't accept me as an american and the yeah. asians don't accept me as an asian well person. that's all of us I feel like right as an Asian, you know, <laughs> yeah. so like I, so, I, yeah. I kind of like, I don't know. I mean, to me, it would be nice to hit a reset. I mean, we've talked about this a lot. Young me, like uh, just from a rebrand perspective, you know, we're 10 years in, like, I'd really love to like, what if, you know, these are questions I've been asking myself was like, what if mission is just mission? Cause that's, it's not mission. Put the name of the cuisine we're mm. cooking here. You know, okay. it, 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 I think it would like help rather than go against it and try to like, be like, Hey, like, but this is okay. But this is okay. It's like, no, maybe it's not. What do I actually want to do right now? I actually really want to make Korean food and, and to find out who I am as a Korean person. Let's do it. I've been to Korea like nine times. We've filmed, well, I've filmed two TV shows there. Like I, we worked with Jun Kwan, the, the Buddhist monk. And like, there was something really touching whenever I worked. I mean, I feel it's funny. People always ask. Maybe me, like, it's when time for us to go live in the Buddhist temple in Korea. <laughs> but you know, like when we went to Korea the first time, something <laughs> yeah. didn't feel. I've always felt out of place. Yeah. Everywhere right. I've been, right? Um, when we went to Korea the first time, Korea is very like if you're not from Korea, it's it can be you know it's it's different you know it's but I didn't feel yeah. different. People came up to me and were speaking Korean like you know it was like I was out of I mean I was making I was uncomfortable because I don't speak Korean. You'd have to you'd have to be like hey well, you don't he doesn't speak Korean but like he's Korean and but um 
you know, like maybe that's, maybe that's the next wave and the next chapter for me in my life. Because again, like, I mean, I'll do, it's so fucking cheesy, but like mission is, it's always, as long as it's a thing, it's going to be kind of a reflection of where I'm at. Yeah. It's like the, and, and, and yeah. I've been in this identity crisis for the past 10 years. And like, now I'm like, maybe I can kind of codify what this is. It'll yeah. still be weird and fun and explorative, but maybe, right. you know, it can. And, but I think maybe it'll be a little bit more focused because I was so unfocused, you know, like, yeah. Um, just being able to sit down with young me and have this conversation, you know, it's, it's we, cleansing. It's cleansing. We've been divorced for how many years now? Like a couple. I don't know. And three, like, I think, you know, Two. like, in many ways like young me has like helped save me as a person in my life and you know i I, it's funny like it's i'm i feel very thankful like that you're a part of the business i always like try to keep you away from the business like no i know and not like have you involved in working there and like since the pandemic i was like oh my god like young me can you just come help like things have been falling apart you know what i mean like i'm a bad i'm a bad at my job you know and i'm always running food by you and like you know, it's like the one person that I really trust food-wise. It's like young me. I'm always mm. like, hey, what is it? What does this need? What do you think? You know, and like, I have a great palate. But like, you <laughs> know, I, I thought about that a lot. It's like I should know about my culture and I should know about. Yeah, well, that's exciting. Korean that food sounds like Korea. the next step for you, and it sounds like you are having a shift in your identity. And you know what? All these constant. I mean, how many times can one person get canceled? Constant cancellations are helping you through that. I have to say that's though, you right. have. I have to say though, you. I feel like, you know, we've said a lot today. We've mm. we've said a lot of truths that we were holding back. And I feel like when people hear this, it's all going to make sense because I feel like time and time again, there have been these attempts to cancel you and people just pushed back. You know, you've never been asked to whatever. Right. They've, it's never tumbled out of control. And, you know, y- you've said the truth. We've said the truth. And it is a cleansing fire. Right. But it's also a fire and it might kill us. Mm. We don't fucking know what's going to happen with the, tr- <laughs> with the truth. When the, but the truth is out there and we get to die clean. The moments of discomfort in the mm-hmm. past. It's been very difficult this past week yeah. to not go dive back into what I thought worked for me in the but past, which is yeah. like drugs and alcohol or like overindulgence and right. everything. Yeah. And I think that that's how I've gotten, I think it's been taking years of me like not doing those things, not mm-hmm. drinking, not doing drugs, fucking being uncomfortable, going through a divorce, like um, to be able to get to this point of clarity or at least, you know, yeah, who knows? Like who knows what's going to happen with the world or right. with mission? But who like knows? at least, you know, again, this isn't, this isn't about me and another person. It's about, it's about me and it's not for anyone to feel sorry for me. Hopefully this information comes is out there now. I think you're just being very clean and honest. I'm like I said, this is the fire of truth and we get to stand in it now. And guess what? If other people don't want to stand in it, that's, that's fine. Right. But we are going to stand in it. Right. And you know, you know, Danny, I don't know you that well, but But, um, like we don't know each other at all. We just met. And this is, um, you know, it, it all makes you know a lot of lot sense. Me, so, yeah. Right. I mean, no, but it know. it's all interconnected and it all makes sense to me. And I just want to thank you for just being so vulnerable and open. And um, yeah, like you're, it, it seems like your life has just been these, con- a through line through it is, are these just trials of resilience. And right. it could be so easy for you to just you give resilient. up and just fucking fuck everything to shit and but you know you you endured you have the tenacity and you find a way through it and 
yeah, and I'm, I'm excited to see what this ne- new chapter is in hold for you and with this right. newfound yeah. sense of clarity because it, and, it's just yeah. constant trials of resilience well, and it's adversity. like exercising. And, it's right. like it's like and no one gets I had to think about this, you know, and this is like it's very therapy ish to sound like it sounds very like you're in a session right now. But like it's like it's like exercising, right? Like you're not going to get it's like you, I, my whole life. I've had all these hurdles and these big things in front of me and I've always just gone around them. And the only way you get stronger is going through them. When I was in like a this is really cheesy. But when I'm in like a spin class, like you have this option to like increase the resistance on your bike or like you you have the option in when you're working out to like lift heavy weights or light weights and like you can overdo it and hurt yourself but ultimately you have to go through that resistance to get stronger and like right. you're not going to get stronger for the longest time young me actually is pointing this out she's like you always run away from like this like you don't want to own some you don't want to like actually be in charge because you don't want to be the boss you have a hard time yeah. being the boss and like you run away from that yeah. and the only and i'm like yeah and i and i realize you can't you can't go make someone else work out for you and then you get stronger physically. Yeah. You have to go put your put in the work and get go yeah. through the pain yourself. So right. I think that speaks to this resilience, the idea of resilience and the idea of like growth. It's human. It's life. We're I'm all human. And yeah. like you, everyone fucks up. Yeah. And you can choose to like bury that. I mean, or you can choose to like get stronger. Okay. And like that's like right. how I look at it. Well, I just want to say one more thing. Okay. You can say whatever you want about Danny Bowen, but you cannot say that he is uh untrustworthy i have to say you're really out there you're really putting out all the information it's very authentic it's very on brand with our podcast we're gonna ask you the last question what is that i didn't hear the end of it what what is something that you're proud of i'm i'm you know i mean this is really cheesy young me but i'm proud that like we can be able to do this you know you and me yeah i mean like you're proud of our relationship i'm proud of our relationship i'm proud that like you know, I'm proud that we can like sit down and do this together. Yeah. And you know, that, that you and I can like function like in a way that is like really helpful for us, not just professionally, but like personally too, you know, like we've been through a lot. I trust you. Like, um, I think I'm proud of that. You know, I, I'm proud of that. I'm proud that like, we're able to like put all this work in to be able to be better partners and better parents for me now. Um, I think that's what I'm the most proud of. I'm proud of our relationship and where we, what all we've been through for like 10 plus years. And I'm, you know, I'm also, I apologize to you. I'm sorry that you've had to like deal with me. No for more like apologizing. No, but you've you done know, enough apologizing. But I never really have like gotten to thank you. Maybe I'll just thank you instead of apologizing to you for like helping me get, you know, find out who I am. Look, I'm going to say this. I wasn't expecting you to say that. I know how the optics on this might look to people who don't know us. It might look like I'm coming in and trying to help somebody, you know, that I'm in business with. That's my ex-husband. That's in my life. But I wouldn't be here if I if I didn't believe your truth to be the truth. And I would never stand up for something if I knew it wasn't untrue. I am doing this because I wanted to do it. Right. Not just for you, because I, what I value in my life, and I know that some people are listening to this probably because of the fucking beef, but I know a lot of people are listening to this because they are fans of the podcast. And if if you've been listening to this podcast, there's one thing that you know, I will never fucking say or stand by anything if I know it's not true. Mm. And that's why I'm here for you because I know you and I trust you and I believe you. That that having been said. 
I'm also a self-thinking individual. And if I find new information, I change my opinion based on the new information. But from what I know and from the Danny Bowen that I know, right. I 100% believe and trust it. Your truth as the truth. And I know and I know it and I'm here. And, and thank you for saying that because, you know, I really didn't expect you to say that. That's what you were proud of. Yeah. Brian. <laughs> <laughs> What's up? <laughs> Brian's still here. I think that's it for the for the Danny Bowen p- episode of our Feeling Asian. Yeah, that was. Uh, thank you again, Danny, for joining us and being very transparent and very open about all of your experiences. And, uh, you know, it's not an easy thing to do, especially <laughs> when it's a very public facing platform and but i think a lot of our listeners will find strength and resonance in everything that you've had to share so i just want to say thank you yeah thank you guys so much all right you can find danny at danny bowen chinese food on instagram maybe it's just danny bowen just danny but not, Bo- just oh wait maybe you don't have that's to. your t- that's oh your handle says danny bowen chinese well because it was danny bowen mission chinese food it was too long you can, fo- <laughs> you can follow mission chinese food for updates on our soon to be just called mission maybe yeah we're maybe gonna cha- change no, it to mission if you you know what honestly i'm Follow gonna say danny danny probably doesn't have the bandwidth to deal with this but if you do have any questions or comments about what you think if you're a chinese american or if you're not if and you have an idea about the like the the restaurant and cultural appropriation or like co-opting other cultures I'm I have the bandwidth to discuss this so please DM me at YM Mayor or the podcast at Feeling Asian Podcast. Brian, what's your Instagram? Uh yeah, you guys can follow me on Instagram at it's Brian Park and you know, new episodes out every Wednesday. We're on Instagram live to do episode oh, recaps. Night. Yeah, so 9:30 9 30 30. Eastern Standard Time. Um but yeah, that's it. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you. Bye.